Guys, welcome to the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli. I've got Alan LaRoche here, the pride and joy of Kansas. That's what they call you. Uh, I've, I've heard it before, but there's not a lot of people in Kansas, so I don't know if that's a, like a, 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 a huge compliment or a small one, but I'll take it. No, no, no factor. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, is that your team? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yes, I was a fan before the last three or four years. Too. I see you giving me that look. No, this was not recent. I was born and raised a Chiefs fan. So. But we, you know, we, we talked about it. Uh, born in California. My dad was at the Angels, so yeah. in Orange County. Yeah, my dad was out there in 79. Uh, I was born there. And, and again, I say born there. I was born there. I lived there about six months. Yeah. And we, we moved back to Kansas where my mom was from. Yeah. So. Where, where was your dad from? He's from out there. Orange County. But you didn't want to stay in California? Or you uh, your mom from such? She was a smart man. Yeah. That was my mom's decision. Yeah. We laid down our foundation and it was Kansas. So Kansas I'm, I'm is not bad. Thankful for that. No, no, not at all, man. It, you know what was cool about it is, is my, my past, which my past career was baseball, to be in the biggest cities in the country all year and then to get to go just hibernate back at our our ranch in Kansas in the middle of nowhere. So, yeah, something about getting back on the gravel roads out there on some property was was like the recharge I needed every off-season yeah. um, to get ready to go into to another season. You like city life? I've, ne- I've never been a big city guy. In, in Austin, you see it's not like a big city. It's, it's, it's hard for me. Yeah. You know, I would do... The, the New Yorks and L.A.s and some of those were really tough. Fortunately, we were there for like three or four days at a time. So we'd come into town, we'd have a three or four game series. And just when you're ready to go drive off a bridge, we were out of town and on to the next place. So fortunately, I got to play in some, some really cool places. And even big cities that I played in, like, like D.C., I would stay outside of the city enough, you know, 20, yeah. 30 miles out. In Virginia. And we stayed in Virginia yeah. in, in that instance. Um, so it was great. So you kind of... You kind of forget that you live, you know, right next to a big city. So, uh, Fort Scott, right? Mm-hmm. That's where you were born? Yeah. Um, how big, uh, what was the population size there? Small. Small? 7,000, maybe? Yeah, it's small. 7,500. Did you guys have some land? Yeah, we got a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was actually my wife's land. And funny story, and I'm going to give you the short version, but we started dating when I was a sophomore in high school. And her grandpa owned some of the best deer hunting ground in our county, but nobody was allowed to hunt on it. So that's exactly what I started looking. I started looking into that, like, okay, what what do I have to do to be able to hunt on this prime ground in in Bourbon County? And then I and then I heard they had a a daughter in high school that happened to be smoking hot. I was like, man, if I'm dating her, I get access to this property. And that was back in 1996, and we've been married ever since, and a couple kids. And did uh, did you end up hunting on the land? Absolutely. Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely, I did. Yeah. So it worked out all the way around. Uh, I don't know if she would say the same, but for me, it worked out all the way around. Yeah. So you and your wife have been together for close to 28 years now. 25. 25. 25. Six years or something now. Yeah, we started dating when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, and yeah, and what was she? Sophomore she was as well. Senior. Senior. She was a senior. Yeah. You went up. I did. You went up. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I 
Good on you. Well, dude, that's a long time ago. That is uh, that is commitment for sure. It's been awesome. Yeah, yeah. She's a sweetheart. And you're a freaking uh, grandfather at the age of forty-three. Yes, this has got to be recent. I'm I'm a grandpa. I got a seven-month-old grandbaby with a twenty-one-year-old son who's married and playing junior college ball. No kidding. And she's in uh, nursing school, and they're navigating raising a kid. Yeah. 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 Good interesting. So, you know, from what I've read, you, you had a very faith-based, Christian-based upbringing. Folks were... Yeah, yeah I did, man. My parents... Uh, and back then, you know, that's when you, you... The only reason you went to church is because your parents made you go to church. Yes. And made you go to the Wednesday night Bible study and all the annoying stuff. And, man, the older I got and got more... And more actually, when I got into pro ball, um, I kind of looked back and wondered why we did all that and just started digging into it a little more and uh and had some pretty neat life experiences from there moving forward so now you know since then i'm all in and although i wasn't a big fan growing up i'm glad my my parents made that a, a priority for my brothers and i yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't i don't think any kid ever says they love going to church i haven't found one yet yeah i, I grew up catholic and we were at the 9.30 every Sunday. Hey, put your smile on, dress up, and try not to get smacked by your mom in yeah. the, of the service. Yeah. Not fun. Been there. I, I don't know about you, but like, you, you know, the Roman Catholic priests, I've never heard a sermon that's like delivered that's been interesting. They just start talking about the scripture and they, they don't, they never brought it back to relevancy for those living. Really? Sorry, it yeah. just always, it always fell uh, deaf on me. But I did go to a Jesuit high school Okay. Um, yeah. And those guys had a, a different way. I mean, they're all scholars, priests, yeah. but uh, did enjoy that uh, education. So, your brother is younger or older? Uh, both. Yeah. So I'm the middle. Of You're the middle three of us. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I got an older brother, which is Andy, Jeff, Jeff. Yep. Yep. Jeff's my older brother, and he played some pro ball. He played. He never made it to the big leagues, but he played with the Marlins and Rockies for a little while. And then my little brother played in the major leagues for six, seven years, I think, seven, eight years, something like that. And we got to play together in Pittsburgh. So no kidding. that was terrible team. I don't even know what our record, we were awful, but we had a blast. And man, I got to play first base and look across the infield every night with my brother playing third base. And yeah, it was a, that was a special summer. So your folks were just in heaven. It was cool, man. My, my dad played, and, and I always say, I say like kind of half-ass joking that we were too stupid to play anything else um, or to do anything else. So it was kind of like baseball or nothing. And, and fortunately, uh, it worked out. And that, that's just, that's really been our life for as far back as I can remember. Because when my dad wasn't playing, he, he was coaching pro ball. So, yes. so our whole world yep. was... Two houses every year, multiple schools. I don't know how many schools we were in, but kind of wherever Dad was coaching at, we'd move there and move back to Kansas in the off season. So when I when I signed and started my career, it, it really just kind of stayed the course of the way I had grown up um, as far as schedule. Baseball wasn't like pushed on you guys. It was just it was a passion for the no, family. No, it wasn't, and that's one thing. I mean, there's a, a ton of reasons why I love my dad, but one of them was he he never pushed it on us. Um, I, I remember when I was like 17 or 18, him coming to me and say, "Hey, if you want to give a if you want to give this a go, if you really want to do this, let me know, and and we'll do what I think you need to do to be prepared for it." 
And obviously I said, yeah, you know, let's rock and roll. But up until then, no, they were, he was great on go play football, go play basketball, go play as many sports as you can, continue to fish and hunt, and just never really push baseball. So it's interesting, guys that play at the highest level, in my experience, understand that a lot more than coaches or parents that have never been there that, that think that is the mentality of guys that played at the highest level. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's a little bit crossed up. But I'm uh, I'm glad my dad viewed it the way he did. That's uh, you know when you look at the I, I'll use the word dynasties these certain families that just continue yeah. to play pro. I mean, do you feel you guys had an innate ability, or was it that you just drove home the fundamentals and it was just practice, practice, practice all the time? Well, I, th- I think it's a little bit of everything. Obviously, there has to be some God-given talent there. Um, and there's a work ethic there that goes along with, with making it. Uh, but there's also a, a, a little bit of the, and that's where I'm proud to have ADD because I have a very short-term memory. And, man, baseball is, is absolutely a game of failure, especially if you're a, a hitter. So most of my career was me sucking, like me failing. Um, and if you let that get to you, which I did, you know, there was times where, where it would – where it would absolutely sink in. But if you really let that get to you, it, it's going to affect. You know, I, I played with a lot of guys that were way, way better, and I mean this, way better than me talent-wise, but could not get up out of their own way mentally to just go play, you know? So I, I'm, I'm glad that I had a short-term memory and could go 0 for 4 with four strikeouts and forget about it the next night when I got to go back out there and, you know, face a major league pitcher, so... That, you know, that is unique to baseball, slumps in other sports, but there's something about baseball where they, like, if somebody's just having a, a bad streak, they really, really hone in oh, on that in the numbers. And you, and I, and I mean, you I don't was, see that in the NFL or, or the NBA as, as prevalent as, as, in as you guys. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why that is, but, but I do remember vividly the difference in getting in the box feeling good and feeling confident versus getting in the batter's box knowing – that you've had a I'm shit. striking out. Yeah. I have absolutely no chance here. And I had thousands of those at bats. And you just try to put the face on like you're like you're confident and you feel like something good's gonna happen, but deep down you know this is gonna be bad. And it's just amazing how fast that can happen. So man, between and I don't know if you golf at all, but between golf and baseball, I don't know what's mentally harder to be like really good at between those two because you can get domed up so fast yeah it's you know it's refreshing to hear you say that where people look at you guys at that level and think that you know it's just all mindset and that hey you're going to knock it out of the park every time time. yeah oh my gosh couldn't be further from the truth yeah yeah so high school and then you went to junior college yeah yeah, so I played a year in Fort Scott, played for my dad, because he was coaching there at mm-hmm. the time. He coached a few years of college ball. He kicked me off the team promptly after my 99 season and then went down to Seminole, Oklahoma, and, and played there and then in 2000 and then signed with Atlanta. And you went direct to the league? No, no, I played minor league ball. For how long? 
Uh, I was there about three years. Three I years? Think, yeah. Yeah. So I played rookie ball, Danville, Virginia. You know, you just kind of work your way up. Myrtle Beach, Greenville. Which one did you like the most? Myrtle? Yeah. Yeah. Myrtle Beach is, that's tough to beat. That's like a, that's like a small, that's like a major league city. Yeah. And a small compact. Yeah. So yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Well, Myrtle Beach is known for nothing else than being a big party. So. You get a lot of trouble there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, fortunately, I, I was married then, which saved me from a lot of heartache. Living, so she's following you. Beach. Yeah. She's. Yeah. And man, back then, we would make, I think my paychecks in the minor leagues were, I think they were like $400 every two weeks. Not and great. We'd have, we'd have poker night or yeah. you know, something, you'd lose half of that <laughs> quickly. So you're basically living off a couple hundred, you know, a hundred bucks a week. Was our uh, was our minor league salary? See, I was living off my wife for the first few years, but I just kept telling her, "I'm like, I'm telling you, I'm I'm going to get there one day, and we'll be able to switch roles, and I'll actually be able to take care of you like a man should." And for you know, fortunately, it worked out. Did you put that to the test though? Years two, three, she's like, "Hey, are things going to hey, change?" Yeah, yeah. What, what are we? When is this coming now? Yeah. I said, "Hey, just be patient. We'll, we'll get there." Did she ever question? Whether you're heading down there or she supports you in your, you know your dream, what? your goal. You know what? I don't know that she cared deep down either way. I mean, she's awesome. So, and you guys are young. Of course, she too. wanted, a, she wanted yeah. me to play Major League Ball because it was my dream to play Major League Ball. You know what I mean? Not necessarily so she could just be a stay-at-home mom and do her thing. So, and I mean that. Like, that was, uh, I think that was way down on her priority list, but. Yeah, we've been with her the whole time. That's a good she's woman right there. She's a great one. I tell you. So we, we were talking before we, we started here about the league and, you know, the military and how the, the environments are, are very much yeah. the same, the, yeah. the team camaraderie, the, the antics. I mean, 12, well, 12 years. What, what's the average pro player playing the, uh, the league? I don't know. Got to be something like probably three, four. Probably. Probably. Yeah. I mean, twelve years is a long, long time. It's uh, sometimes it felt like it, and, and other times, you know, other times, especially looking back, it went really, really fast. You know, yeah. as you know, how, yeah. how many years? Twenty. Were you in? Twenty. Yeah. So I'm sure there's times where that felt like two or three years, and, and, and other times where it felt like a lifetime. But man, it was good. I, I'm. And, and I got to play at a really cool time. Actually, I got out at a great time with the game changing the way it has. And and I'm not embarrassed to say I don't know what a lot of those changes are now because I just I don't really keep up with it. But I know there was enough going on and enough coming down the pipeline when I was leaving that were some pretty significant changes in the game. Um, so man, I'm I'm grateful I got to I got to work during the time period I did. It's great. You, you know, I was, you know, maybe I was a little bitter at first when I retired, but I think very quickly I'm like, you know what? My community evolved this way. I, I moved this way. It was like, hey, thanks. Thanks for letting me play. Never uh, shall the two pass me. But uh, what do you miss most about it, man? What do you miss most about um, just man, playing? I think, I think probably the same thing you guys do, and that's just the the – community and the, the boys yeah, yeah the guys 
and specifically the times when things weren't going good or like a, a you get hung up in a city because of because of weather or flight issues or long rain delays or you know just some of the situations where it's not the normal that you come together as a team and just figure it out and sometimes that's sitting there staring at each other for you know eight hours in a clubhouse waiting for the rain to stop or so so some of those times were I would say I miss the most, and, and, I, and I think I could speak for everybody throughout the league that when they get out, hands down, that's what guys try to recreate in other areas. Like, like what can I do? And, and, and so I hunt a lot. So you know, we'll, we'll, to, to do like the, to put it in like a hunting camp terms of, of getting the guys back together. I mean, any, any excuse to do that? Yeah. You can't. You can try. You'll never be able to rep, replicate that. Right. At all, but I mean, to get close, I, I understand. It's for me, it was like losing the largest support network I'd ever had. It's like losing part of your DNA, yeah. especially 12 years in. I mean, that's that's you, that's that's your identity. Um, if you're not careful when you're in it, and it's everything you are, and, I, and I, it, I think it's so much harder for you guys because you can't really stick one foot in and one foot out. Like, right, to be the best in the world at what you do and to be called on to go to some pretty nasty places and, and do what you do, like, you're all in. But then when it's, when you're out and you become a former guy instead of a current guy and you lose the jersey or you lose the uniform, um, you know, I would say the, the, the penalty for that in my world would be a crazy high divorce rate Guys turn into alcohol. Yeah. You know, it's probably the extent of it. And then you guys, obviously, it, it, the, the problem is the next level of, of ending it. And, and so, yeah, I, I relate a lot of our careers to being similar. But mm -hmm. I, need to, I say that respectfully because there's also a lot that we will never understand or have never experienced or like another level of brotherhood that you guys have that, that can end really bad when guys lose the uniform. Um, and I only say that, so I'll skip ahead, what I get to do now, part of what we do through the foundation is we get to host combat veterans out to the ramp. So just over the years, getting to know you guys, and get to have some really cool life conversations with warriors, I've got to learn, you know, a lot of the similarities, but also a lot of the, the, the pretty heavy struggles. There was a, uh this guy was, a, I think, controversial during his career, but he was a uh, league player, wrote an article about how when you leave the league, it's like dying. Basically losing, losing the support network. And, and I remember reading the article, and hmm. he, he was right in a lot of ways. It's, the, the similarities are there. You're part of a tribe, which not many people understand. You spend more time with those guys than you do your own family. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, there's just, there will never be a solution for stepping out of that environment where there's a love for your brother. You don't have to like all your brothers, but you get to love all yeah, your brothers. Right. I, right. I know I didn't like all the SEALs I served with, they didn't like me, but we still got it done at the end of the day. But that, that environment, man, I would rather have it and lose it again and know what it's like than never to have had it at all. And that's what I, yeah, yeah. I wanna, I'm not looking down at anyone. I, I feel bad that some people never got to experience it yeah. at that such 
intense emotional level, dude. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and you know, the other side of that is, is what I regret the most w would be not spending more one-on-one -on -one time with the guys, specifically the young guys coming up. Um, and I did a better job later in my career, but, you know, part of, you know, we show up at 2 o'clock for a game. So if it's a 7 o'clock game, we're there about 2, 2.30. Yeah. And a lot of that time, especially the older you get, which I used to make fun of the guys that had to get in the hot tub, the cold tub, do the contra, go get a massage, get all the treatment, you know, this guy. And then I, I turned into that guy as an older player. But just uh, maybe, being, maybe being a little too consumed about what I had to do to get ready for that night and not take the time to Mentor. really invest in the young guys. Yeah. And, and again, I'm not – I don't lose sleep over it because the last few years of my career – kind of made that a priority but early on if I could change anything it would be to to really zero in on some of those guys that are coming up and trying to figure things out so you know one of the things I read about you man that impressed me the most was you were when you were with the uh, the Nationals you really got back or you really back something called Faith Day yeah yeah we did we did. Yeah. It was all, oh, totally proud of it. You know, it was something that in D.C., being as politically sensitive yeah. as it is, yes, um, it got, I think they had it for a year or two, and it, it kind of got pushed out of there. Um, so to be able to be on the on the small team um, to bring that back, and obviously not, not forced was it Was it too controversial? I think so. <laughs> I mean, like anything there. What, what can you talk about in D.C. that doesn't raise eyebrows? Piss somebody off. Um, yeah, so to bring it back there and, and make it uh, successful and to, and to see it still go on today, you know, years after I've left, um, it, it's pretty neat. Yeah. It, I, so I read this from, a, I believe, a chaplain. said I, I once heard a chaplain put it this way. What do you want to be written on your tombstone? Do you want Adam LaRoche, golden glove, batting average, hit so many homers, has a million in his bank account? Or do you want Adam LaRoche, man of God, integrity, raised a great family? Loving. Yeah, man, I, I, go ahead. No, that, I, I, mean, I remember a chaplain asking us that one time, a small group of us, and he just kind of did a survey and said, seriously, when you guys die, what do you want to be remembered for? And the way he put it, just so black and white, was do you, do you want to be known for your, your, like you said, your bank account, your stats, your accolades, the amount of friends you had, or, or your or your status, and I mean that's pretty easy. I think believer or non-believer, that's kind of like no. I mean that that doesn't. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be attractive then. So he just kind of got us all thinking about well, what what do you want to be remembered by? And as we all started to think on, it, he said, okay, well, wouldn't it make sense if that's what you want to be remembered by that that's what you would be focusing on right now to be remembered by? And so. Yeah, I've never forgot that. I, th I thought that was a really good kind of litmus test of where are you at in life and where are your priorities. Because if they're on these things that aren't going to be important at the end of your life, you know, should they be as important as, as we're making them right now? Um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That was, uh, Let me ask you this then. How did you balance that? Because I did not balance that and I ended up in a divorce. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're, uh, you're you've got to be a statistic, uh, statistical anomaly. Oh, man, and, and trust me, I, I made, 
I made so many bad decisions, and I screwed up so many different ways. That was one thing we did right. You and your wife? It stayed together, yeah. Yeah, it's just grinded it out. Because don't get me wrong, 20, 22 years, I guess now, I've been married. And uh, all, those weren't, all those weren't awesome. You know, they weren't, they weren't totally flawless with, with no... Ups, they never are. With no downs in them. So the balancing of it, I think, was believing and knowing that I'm here for a way bigger purpose than to be a baseball player. Or make a bunch of money, or win a or win a World Series, or like, and and biblically as a believer, I'm confident we're here to do two things. And I think Jesus really simplifies the Bible for idiots like me and says, "Hey, do this: love me, love each other, love people, love God, and you'll be all right." So it, it really did kind of shift my mindset throughout my career. To not take baseball as serious, um, to not think every game, every at-bat was the end of the world, um, and really kind of set up for, in 2016 when I left, made that decision really easy. And this is regarding your son yeah. being told he couldn't come down. Yeah, and that was, that was part of it, that was, and that was a big part of it. So was, my, was the fun meter pegged? Was, around, it was the fun meter pegged, as we said? No. Was it no? Honestly, I was fired up that spring Still. to go play. And I had no intention of retiring. I was under contract, yep. which was a lot of, a lot of money, uh, which, by the way, we're completely overpaid to get to go play a game. So thank you guys for allowing us to, to be able to go do that. But I was under, under contract and ready to go. And, and it's a difficult one with my son because I get it that it's not normal to be able to take your son to work. I was fortunate the three years before that where he was kind of an employee of the team. <laughs> so he was like a clubby, bat mm -hmm. boy, I guess support guy. You know, he would shine shoes, shag balls, wash cars, like whatever guys needed him to do. And then going into that season, they had a change of policy and they, and they upped the age of kids being allowed in the clubhouse. Um, and he fell underneath that, so they just said, he, you know, he was going to be out this year. And if I re, if I rewind that a little bit, the year the off season before, I went to Thailand with a guy that I had met and got introduced to the counter sex trafficking world and, and saw some of the darkest evil I could ever imagine over there in Southeast Asia. So I was already coming in to that spring training, thinking, man, am I really going to go play a game right now when I know all this stuff that's going on that I feel like we can affect. And so I was already going in with kind of a, just kind of in a weird mindset, um, but still planning on playing with no intention of retiring. And then the whole thing with Drake, with my son, just was kind of the, the that was where God was saying, it's time. Like he made it, he made it very obvious there that, okay, it's time to take it back to the, to the ranch. Let me, let me, so, let me back up there. Cause Sequentially, what did you see over there? It, it, and I'm not um, man, so, so the group I went with was for, some former military guys, and they had moved over there. They had been operating there for about six years, so they had a really good relationship with the Royal Thai Police <laughs> and um, some of the other agencies over there to be able to come in as Americans, and they would go into brothels every night. And as Americans over there, uh, 
fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately for us and the work we were doing, you get offered like the youngest girls right away. They just assume you're not a cop. They assume you have tons of money and their guards down and they're going to, you know, give you, give you the best that they have, which, which happens to be just some really, really young girls. And so I got introduced to a, a, just a disgusting world that I didn't know existed. And it was only, it was a couple weeks that we were over there, but just enough to know, like, man, we're, we're effective here, and, and what we're doing is actually working, um, because we got, to, we got to watch with our intel, we got to watch what the feds there would do with that, and how serious they took it, but also how hard it was for them to combat without our help. So... And, and don't get me wrong, we're not the only, there's a lot of organizations over there doing, yes. this, doing awesome work. I just was a, a part of one. Um, but I got introduced to it. So I came home and I flew around and met with as many people that would let me in their door, both government and non-government, to learn more about this issue, the counter-human trafficking issue. And that's when I learned that it's in every state, every county, and it's, you know, one of the, I think the fastest growing criminal enterprise we have in the states now which has taken over the drug trade and the weapons trade, um, which is hard to believe. You know, just a multi-billion dollar industry that, that's going through the roof. And, and we're not, it, it is beating us now in America, so. Not, not to be crude, but there's repeatability. Yeah. You can only sell a gun once that's right. to somebody. You can only sell drugs once to somebody. That's exactly that's, right. That's, it so it, over there, would you guys, act as if you're coming in to engage yeah. and then you, you yeah, that was what was the, the youngest girl that was you guys ran into is, is having to act like a dirt bag for yeah. a little bit to, for the greater good um, we saw I, I want to say an 11 an 11 or 12 year old girl which of course over there they look 7 or 8 you know being 11 or 12 but so in my mind, I'm picturing my daughter back home, like like every man that cares about their kids at all, is that's like the, you know, that's probably the first visual you get is, man, this is my daughter. Um, so it hit, I mean, it hit hard, it, it messed me up. And I think, if you, I think if you were to talk to my wife, she would say that I was pretty messed up for a couple of weeks when I got back. Just crying all the time. Just from, yeah, just from what we saw. And, and, and the, hard, um, the hard spot I was in with wanting to be home with my wife and kids, and you can probably relate, but also I did not want to leave Thailand. Yeah. I mean, I was ready to send for the family and say, hey, we're moving here. We're going to be here for the next 30 years, period. So it was pretty tough to leave there and even tougher to not go right back, um, knowing that we could, you know, directly affect something. But, yeah, man, really, really young kids. Um, and since then, I've seen the same here, which, unfortunately, it's, it's different when it's at home. Not that I don't care about the young girls in Southeast Asia, because I do, I love them. But it just, it's a different feeling when you see somebody that looks just like you from your, you know, right in your area, right in your backyard. Um, it becomes a little more real, so. Yeah, that, uh, that, between that and then uh, the situation with Drake, it was a pretty easy decision to, to step away. 
but from what it sounds like, you, it's not like you and your wife had plans because you, you planned on playing that season. Yeah. All of a sudden, you look at the GM, you're like, hey, I think it's my time. Yeah. And then from there, you come home. Did your wife know you were going to quit, or did you come home? No, and she did. I talked to her. I yeah. called my manager uh, after that inc that incident where they changed the age. I called up my manager that night. I said, hey, I need to I need to take a day. I'm not going to be in tomorrow. He was awesome. Rob Mentor, I love him. I told him, I'm not going to be in tomorrow. I'll be in the next day. And I did. I went in. And, you know, on that off day, um, had some good discussions with friends, former teammates, my dad. And, and it was pretty obvious that it was time to move on to something more, more meaningful. So, yeah, going back to your, I, I got to test what that chaplain had challenged us with, with what's important to you. Um, and it was neat to be able to test that internally to say, would I walk away from a lot of money to go do something that I felt was the right thing to do? And so that, uh, that way, during that off day, that weighed on a lot of the decision was, what is the right thing to do? And, and, I, and I couldn't get over the fact that it's, it's time to move on and, and jump into this fight. But you don't fault the guys that choose the stats and the money. That's just, that's no, their thing. No, 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 not at all. But I, but I know what that leads to, and it leads to disappointment. Every single time. There's of all the guys you know that stayed in way too long, lost their wives, lost their family, they all say the same well, thing? Well, whether you're in for whatever you're chasing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. If it's if, if it's worldly, so if it's the stats, yeah, the money, in a lot of instances, the drugs, the women, the alcohol, all these things that we chase that we think are going to do it, fulfill us, they just don't. I mean, it's just it's just a dead end. Um, so I'm glad I learned that early enough in my career to know that, that you know, this doesn't change anything. That, 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 will, that has always been true and will continue to always be true until, until we're done here. So you and your wife decided it's time to move on. You guys moved back to Kansas. Was that pretty rapid or did you say stay in? No, uh, you know what we did? We, we took a, uh, we rented an RV in Phoenix. We we're like, well, we got nothing going on the next six months because we thought we were going to be playing ball. So let's just go up through. And, and in baseball, you sign a contract every year that says you can't do anything fun, basically. Yeah. So skydiving, riding motorcycles. Those sons of bitches. Snowboarding, skateboard, you name it. You're kidding me. Anything that you're, you're, you're basically committing to, I'll never do that again. So I hadn't been able to do that in 16 years uh, since my first contract in, in 2000 with the Braves. So my first purchase was a dirt bike off of eBay, a, a, a shitty old Kawasaki dirt bike, missing fender, and, uh, and a snowboard. And we just hit the road with the snowboards and went up through Montana, uh, up into Whistler, Canada, and yep. just took like a month with the kids to go do what we hadn't been able to do in a long time. So 
It was a blast. Did you know Kansas was the final destination, though? Or yeah. Were you figuring that out oh, along yeah. the way? Yeah, yeah. We knew that we'd... We knew that the kids would have to get back to school eventually. Yeah. Um, so we made our way back home. Yeah. How, how long did, did it take for you to decide what your next path was, your uh, next passion? You know, it was during that, during that RV trip. Yeah. Kind of trying to figure out what was next. I, I knew that retirement for me wasn't going to be fulfilling. To go retire yeah. somewhere. Not fulfilling at all, for sure, if I would have pursued uh, maybe what maybe looked at as the norm in retirement of truly like shutting it down and retiring. So I knew there was going to be something. And I knew it was going to be revolving around working with our soldiers, which I got to do. You know, when I was playing in D.C. for four years, I got to spend a lot of time at Walter Reed. And it just crushed me. Man, being in, being in the room with like a you know, 20, 22 year old kid that's missing both of his legs and his, his wife is in there or his parents are in there. And, and so just getting to know these guys um, and then really getting a cool relationship with a lot of them where we got to bring them, I would start bringing them out to the stadium. That's awesome. To come, just give them a change of scenery and come rehab with us, whether it was in the batting cage or with our trainers or out on the field taking ground balls, you know, whatever whatever we could do to kind of lift their spirits a little bit. And then some of them uh, loved hunting. And so I was able to fly them out, you know, in the off season, fly them out to the ranch and just serve those guys for a few days and uh, as a way to say thank you. So I knew it was going to be something to do with using our ranch for that community and something in the counter-trafficking fight. Uh, and I wasn't completely sure at the time what that looked like. So the ranch, is that uh, the father-in-law's ranch that you... Uh, That's it. It's the same one? Okay. That's it. Yeah, man. In, we're, in we're so still there. You eventually created the E3 ranch. Yeah. E3 standing for... That is, a, that is a derogatory term against my position in baseball. So my position on the scorecard was number... I played first base, yeah. but it was the number three position. So an E3 is the last thing I wanted to see flash across the scoreboard in, in front of, you know, 45,000 fans because it's air on the first baseman. So I, I did it. This was before E3 anything. This was before an E3 restaurant or E3 meat company or E3 foundation. I yep. did it really as a joke more than anything, just thinking, oh, I'll put this on the gate to our ranch. Nobody's ever going to know about it except... You know my my friends, and uh, it, it kind of kind of back backfired on me a little bit. But. <laughs> I'm surprised I didn't recognize yeah, that. I know what you're talking about. Most people don't know what oh. that stands for, though. Yeah. I, I thought it was going to be three E's. Some you have some some, some yeah, 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 yeah good good yeah no there's a, it makes absolutely no sense at all and just something I did and it's tough. Did you become a deputy first or start the ranch first? What was the order in which? No, started the ranch first. Started the ranch yeah, first. So, the, so, so we lived on the ranch my whole career. We officially named it in 2012 or something like that. You know, 2011, 12, somewhere in there, I think, is when, uh, is when E3 came. And, and funny, I had a friend, so Luke Bryan, I don't know how much country music you listen to. So Luke comes don't know, out. never heard of him. Luke comes out to hunt. Good, I'm going to tell him, thank you. I'm going to tell him you said that. I love it. Luke comes out to hunt, and I had some hats made. I had some E3 hats made. There's like a dozen of them or something. Well, we wear the same hat size. They were the fitted, like our baseball hats. And Luke steals one, 
And a month later, he's wearing it on the CMAs or ACMs or something. So it, take, you know, it takes off, and he starts getting blasted from his fan base wanting this hat. I mean, like they're coming at him hard, wanting to purchase this hat. And so he, finally, he spins it on me and says, hey, he throws his hands up and says, it's not mine. Call my buddy Adam. He's got the hat. So then I start getting blown up. So anyway, that was kind of the start of the more and more E3 and the, and the brand taking off a little bit. What's, uh, what is the, the charter? What's the overall mission of E3 with regards to uh, the foundation? Success? Yeah. Yeah, so for, the, for you guys, for that community, it's just as a way to say thanks. Yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we don't say we're here to, that you're messed up and we're here to fix you. Um, and, and really, one of the cool things about it is there's no there's no way to go on to go online and um, apply or or uh, yeah or sign yourself up to come out. We just go off of recommendations. So when guys leave, the only thing I ask of them Tell me is more. that you go back yeah. to your if they're if they're current guys, go back to your unit or go back to your former unit, find somebody that needs it, and, and send them to us. So a lot of times we maybe. You know, we'll probably have half and half active guys and retired guys, and we always try to bring we always try to bring some, you know, some guys from 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 the army, soft community, some seals, maybe some PJs, some 160. Because the rivalry between you guys is priceless when you get that group together. Leave leave the, the seals out of it, man. They're divas. <laughs> divas. I'll tell you from experience. I love it. I love it. Just being a fly on the wall in the lodge, listening to these guys go to the at banter it is. Yeah. It, but it's cool because they go at it of of who was better, or who had you know who had what. But but they also love each other at the same time. So it's yeah. that that's a pretty neat community within the overall soft community that I've got to witness. Of yeah, there's a lot of ball busting and uh, and making fun of each other, but. When it comes down to it, you know, it's, it's another brother like, like the next guy. So, yeah, we do that, and then we do uh, the counter-human trafficking work. So it was quite a few years later when I realized, and we were doing more work in the States, um, that I realized this is going to be difficult not being commissioned as law enforcement to go attached to some of these groups and work in, in the U.S. Uh, so I went through police academy, became deputized, and... Um, and then a few years later, went through a program with Homeland Security to, to work with those guys. But the, the cool part there is, because it's kind of a part-time gig, so I don't really have a schedule with yeah. Homeland Security or with our local sheriff's office that I have to hold to because I travel so much. But it also allows me to be kind of a liaison when I do travel between nonprofits that do really good work yes. and the law enforcement community because yeah. I kind of wear both hats. So yes. just... It just works out to be a, a great, uh, I get to act as a connector between a lot of these organizations. Did I hear that correctly, that the Super Bowl and, you know, like the uh, any championships are some of the, the, the biggest human trafficking events as well? Man, it's, it's one of them. Yeah, I had always heard forever that it was the Super Bowl, and I think it probably still is. Um, there's some other big events, you know, anytime there's a NASCAR event, so just in the, in the sports world in general, um, a, a World Series, the NHL, you know, the, the Stanley Cup Finals, you name it, you know, whatever the kind of the big event is, 
in sports, uh, there's a huge spike in trafficking during those. But I, but I also don't want to act like that's the only time it happens because there's a, there's a program we use in law enforcement that scrapes the internet and, and just basically looks at all the ads that are going on in a certain city. And if we pulled it up, I think everybody here would be amazed at in, in Austin, Texas, the amount of girls being advertised against their will is always mind-blowing for me any area we go to um, there's just nothing off limits I mean it's such a lucrative industry and, and as you said earlier it's a product you don't have to replace that you can sell over and over again uh, it's very hard to prosecute a lot of times these girls are, are scared to death to testify and that's a whole other side of it kind of the traumatic bondage that, that happens with these with these girls um, and when, when you say girls, is it, is it necessarily underage? Or could it be a 21-year-old um, girl who's just... Uh, it's both. both. You know, un unfortunately, in the States, a lot of prosecutors, a lot of law enforcement will focus on the underage girls. And I get it. I get it. One, it's a lot easier to prosecute. And it's hard for any prosecutor or judge or anybody in that system to, to deny, you know, going after somebody that's exploiting a minor. Um, but, I mean, there's a lot of girls that are in their 30s that have been, you know, trafficked since they were 14 or 15, and they need us to come after them just as much as yeah. the 16-year-olds. So, yeah, that's a, that's a challenging one at times. You, maybe you can help me define, so for human trafficking in the United States, is it homegrown? In yeah. sense of these yeah. are American girls who've been <coughs> basically taken against their will or maybe objectified or yeah you know that the the interesting part here and, and we do see this in some other countries but out in the US it's not a lot of like snatch and grab kidnappings um, I think I think that's a fear for a lot of parents is that oh trafficking's going through the roof that there's a lot more kidnappings it, it's really not it's the recruitment off of social media I mean so if there's if there's any danger that a parent faces, it's the danger of not being aware of what your kid is, who your kid is connecting with on social media. And here's the thing, it's not bad kids that are doing this because they don't know. You know, these recruiters and these traffickers are really, really good at their craft. Sophisticated. And what your daughter might be thinking she's talking to an 18-year-old kid when in reality she's talking to a 35-year-old man. Um, and they are very patient and methodical in their, in their process and their methodologies of, you know, recruiting and coercing these girls into a, a relationship with them. One thing leads to another. They start trading some pictures. Then you got some blackmail. They might get introduced to drugs and pornography i mean there's a, it's it's a systematic approach with these guys to to what works and and it's working is, is there drugs almost involved a high yeah, problem man, we, we rarely get we rarely get a victim that's not on something dependency of some sort mm -hmm. yeah dude i and you you guys are wrapping up the the, the, the perpetrators, the guys who are running yeah. some of these rings. Yeah, so there's kind of three phases to break down the human trafficking piece. You've got the prevention and awareness. Okay. So the guys, that, which is crucial, 
going into the parents, going into the city council meetings, going into schools all across the country and talking about the dangers of this and the reality of this. And then you've got kind of the, uh, the interdiction rescue side. Which that's got to be the most rewarding. Where our lane is. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. And that's kind of those joint law enforcement operations that we get to do. And then, and then the aftercare. So I, I can't say any one is more important than the other. I know a little bit on the first one and the last one. Um, but again, our focus is on that interdiction piece. And that's what's cool about having, uh, and that's where kind of the synergy with having you guys out, your community, out to the ranch, um, is we end up meeting a lot of guys that are retired that have a background in intel or analysts. Yep. And, yep. and the, uh, you know, guys that spent their life hunting traffickers on the computer and just kind of know that, well, we call it nerd talk. You guys may have called it the same thing in, the, in, in your world. But yeah, the stuff they can do on the computer to hunt terrorists rolled over and translates almost exactly the same as hunting a traffic. targeting humans. Yeah. yeah so yeah. these guys that are real, and girls that are really good at what they do can put together a targeting package for law enforcement, you know, in a, a few hours. It would take me, you know, a week to dig into all that. So, yeah, that's where we've got to utilize some, some guys that have come through our program at the ranch to, uh, to give them another mission. Uh, which, yeah, which as you know, that's, that's, that's tough when you leave and, and you no longer have a mission, um, you know, to be able to get back in to, to something that's really significant and rewarding. And there, there is no, no more noble mission than, than what you guys are doing. Well, thank I, you. And I don't want you to answer this question. The only thing I would, knowing my guys, is we would want to beat the living <laughs> Yeah, you know what out of those guys? If not, drag them behind the building and say we never saw them again. I know, man. I mean, and, do, do, you, was, you just—I mean, you're dealing with human trash. I know, I know. And you know what? And I—and I think I think God gave me this when I first got into this world. I think He gave me this um, ability to view those guys as somebody that's sick, almost like a drug addict. If you've ever been around a drug addict alcoholic you know any addiction to just view it as somebody that's sick that needs help i know i know it's difficult to, to so you feel put you feel empathy. there a uh, little bit a little bit a little bit um not a lot i need to get <laughs> a little better at it um but yeah it's been uh it's been easier to to not just want to kill every one of them and to not like deeply hate them, to understand He's that maybe there was something in their childhood. Maybe there was something that their dad was an asshole and whatever he did to abuse them that caused them to do this to somebody else. So I try to give them some, some grace there and give them you know, the benefit of the doubt. Let the law, law work its yeah. Uh, system. Yeah, but He's, when it doesn't, I like having oh. a call to you guys. I'm kidding. What? I'm kidding. Scratch that part. <laughs> That's the frustrating part about the, the justice system is it doesn't always work. Uh, that's right. Um, that's right. How, how vast is the problem in the United States? Um, is it, 
We're, no, we'll, we'll never, we'll never eradicate it. It's, it's that. I don't know. I, I doubt it. I mean, it's been around since the beginning of time. This problem. So I, I, I hate to. I'm, I'm not in the camp that thinks I'm going to see the end of it in my lifetime. I don't know that it'll ever happen. Uh, but you but I do look down. forward to having bigger nets. Yeah. Like we have on the drug trade with big task force with the DEA, the FBI, HSI. Um, I think the problem is getting more and more public to the point where they're going to start having to fund, you know, some bigger organizations to really focus on this. So, yeah, it's, it's getting there. What would you say to, uh, and I know this is both young men, yeah, that would never happen to my daughter and my young son. Yeah, I mean, we t I don't know how many moms and dads I've been on the phone with that have said those exact words. And I get it, and I feel for them, because their kid wasn't, their kid probably wasn't a terrible kid and into all these things where they, you know, expected this to happen. Um, I, I don't know what the percentage is. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 90% of the time. Um, the, the parents are shocked when the phone is ripped or, you know, when they get into the phone and see what actually was going on, they just can't, they can't fathom it. So mm. I, I will say though, that typically in a family that has a dad that's present, and I don't mean physically present, if your job takes you elsewhere, but, but I, I think, I think girls, especially by God's design, when they're born and as they're growing up, attached with a man that is the dad, that is kind of that is that father figure in their life. So when they don't have that, they um, seek it They're gonna they're looking for it, yeah. and it's gonna come. It will come in the form of another man, whether it's a great dude that really has the best intentions for your daughter, or if it's a predator, is the flip of a coin. But you know, most of the kids in the states that we see have been. Out of the, out of the foster, in and out of the foster care system, um, have dropped out of school. I've just kind of somehow fallen into the forgotten category, and I would I would say that's why I, typically my conversations are with mothers that can't understand, can't fathom this happening because the dad's not in the picture. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's on us as men to take it a little more serious with our daughters on. Uh, yeah, that, that uh, they're going to seek it elsewhere if, if they don't get it from us. Well, Adam, uh, I wouldn't wish that on any, on any parent, but, I, I mean, dude, your story alone, where I've got to assume most of your peers don't go into law enforcement post-professional, you know, baseball. They go into business, maybe investing, maybe they have enough money, they just write it out. The fact that you have found this and this is your calling and your impact in lives that I, I'm, I'm absolutely impressed, man. Well, and good on no, you. Because I'm not doing anything now thank other than self-seeking well, crap. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I, I do a very small part of, of kind of the overall effect that we've been able to have. And, and most of it has come from, from the military community. And I mean that. And so to get to be around and work with these guys every day, you talk about the ultimate motivator and driver to to want to be better and to and to just not to not fail. 
and just figure it out does not come from me. And that does not come from baseball. We are spoiled rotten in baseball. Dude, I didn't pack my own bags in baseball. You know what I mean? Like everything is taken care of. And so that's, that doesn't come from me naturally. Um, I, I'm, I think God put people in my life out of that community to make me way better, challenge me, and, um, and help me just kind of lay the framework so they can go do what they do best and teach me how to do it along the way. So, yeah, proud, proud to be a part of it. Amen. Well, brother, we end this podcast in a way that allows the audience to potentially take your breadcrumbs to success and maybe apply them to your life. You quite literally, literally grew up in a home with loving parents. I mean, your father was not only a father, but literally a coach. Yeah. So I'm sure he yeah. was an ultimate mentor and coach to, to you and your brothers. Then you go to the professional league for uh, the pro league for, for 12 years. And then, you know, you're not done. You've seen a lot. You've learned a lot. You've seen a lot of evil. As you look back on all your success, what are those three tenants, those one to three tenants that Adam would tell his sons, if you do these three things consistently, it'll lead to a high probability of success or happiness or fulfillment? Oh, yeah. Um, man, again, as a believer, number one would be Prayerfully look into whatever you're, you're doing. Make sure that the, the true commander is, is with you on this and you're getting directed that way. And you may hear something that is not what you want to hear. And you may hear something that looks so foreign to what's right and looks and, and, and something that the world is going to laugh at and say you're an idiot and a dumbass for getting involved in that. But listen to it and follow that. Um, and then I would say, as you start down that road, man, bring people along that are not only awesome people that you trust in, but also people that care as much or more about you as they do themselves. Yeah. So really, and I think from experience, just surrounding yourself with good people is, is such an understate I mean it, it is absolutely critical in anything that I've ever got done at, at, a, at a high level anything I've ever got done and really done it well didn't come from me because I'm not smart enough to think up a lot of that um, and then a, a third one we talked about pursuing what God's got for you surround yourself with great people and don't ever be afraid to lead but maybe have a really good understanding of what a leader is because in my experience, it has nothing to do with what you say. It has nothing to do with what comes out of your mouth. As a matter of fact, I think that hurts us, those that are in leadership positions more than anything. And, and it's about what you do. So I guess the third one is don't just talk about it, be about it. Or don't talk about it at all just be about it and, and let that, uh, you know, let that speak for you. You know, there was a uh, sign that would hang, well, not a sign, but words that would hang all around military compounds. Doing, greater sign, talking. Mm. And we've always said leadership is about behavior and culture. 
is behavior at scale. Yeah. It's about yeah. what your people do, not what you uh, say. I, I think there's beauty in that, man. You know, you're the first interview where I quoted that uh, chaplain, and maybe this leads to the question, but when all is said and done 40, 50 years from now, and you're looking back, what do you want your life to be defined by? Yeah. What's your legacy that you leave behind? Yeah. You know what, what I want it, what I want mine to be would be to be an awesome father, an awesome husband, follower of Jesus, but, but a guy that would go anywhere to help the helpless or, or go after people that nobody else gives a shit about. And there's no political, no financial, no other reason to go help them other than you care about them and you want to get them out of a bad spot. So, yeah, I think there's some things there that I would love to be said. More importantly, I want those wants that I have to be the first thing that comes out of you know, my, my family or my closest friends as they go to write that eulogy or whatever it is, yeah. for that to be like a no-brainer, you know, that, that there's no question that that's the life that I live. Because I'll tell you what, I spent the first half of my life not living that life. I was living, man, it was way more for me than it was for anybody else. And I'm glad, though. I'm glad because looking back, I can see how unfulfilling that was compared to what I get to do now. And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean I'm not, I still don't have selfish thoughts and get mine, but having the priority be others because I know what the other side looked like after spending half my life there has been, uh, has been something that I'd never want to change and want to do that for the next 40 or 50 years, hopefully. Well, brother, you used one pretty big platform to leap into a bigger yeah, and, and more purpose-filled platform, man, for that. Uh, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing. You know, I've got an 18-year-old uh, daughter, and uh, there's just a naivety that that could happen yeah. in the United States, that that could happen to my daughter. And, and I think yeah. I need to step back and reassess that, man. Why well, can't thank you enough for flying out to Austin. Uh, where can people find you to support what you got going on with the E3 Ranch or how can they get involved with combating human trafficking even in their small town? Yeah, no, thanks, man. Well, we've got, so our website, E3 Ranch Foundation, um, we're, t we're terrible at putting out really good, insightful, like current events on yeah. our website and it, because it's a tricky one. With especially on the on the trafficking side um, of of how to explain it in any type of detail without presenting some problems down the road. So yeah, so not making excuses for it, but it's um, I, I definitely enjoy talking about it like this, like yeah. one on one, and, yep. and kind of walking through what we do and telling stories more than I I do typing it out and, and putting it out there for the world. So we touch on it a little bit, you know, some of the work and. Um, that we've been able to do, and uh, we're going to continue to do it. So yeah, I appreciate you saying that. But E3 E3 Ranch Foundation, you can you can check it out and shoot me an email. Well, we will drop the link, on. dude. Thank I, you for coming on, that. and uh, you know, I, I love these talks, man. I learned 
And uh, for all of you, thank you for joining us. This has been the Men's Journal Everyday Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Sorelli, with Adam LaRouche. And until next time. I can't wait. Thanks, Thanks brother. brother.